my mission is to change cultural relationship to shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also to make people laugh and do all these other things. Says there's something wrong with me. I got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. Who are you? No, not your name. Who are you? Tough question. So let's back up. Who were you? One of the most common issues people with depression work on in therapy is childhood. What happened that made me the way I am today? Diving into that history, looking for answers, can be difficult and painful and scary. But if you can laugh about it, it can feel more manageable. On this episode, a unique way of examining personal history. Hi, my name is Dave Nadelberg. I am the founder of a project, storytelling project called Mortified. Dave Nadelberg has been dealing with depression for years, and at times it's been really bad. He's a veteran writer, producer, television host. Most of his work centered around looking at our younger selves through a project called Mortified, which sounds like this. July 23rd. Nana's sister, Nina, came over for a chat. Her and Nana both talked about death, and I felt left out because I don't have a dead husband. Dear Diary, Ben and I fooled around while watching some weird space movie in his basement. He started kissing my ear, but the more into it he got, the sloppier it got. It was all full of spit, and I'm kind of having a hard time hearing in it today. Mortified is a storytelling project where adults read their most embarrassing childhood writings, usually diaries, love letters, lyrics, awful poetry, in front of total strangers. And uh, we've been going for about 15 years. We do it all around the world, uh, in 20 cities worldwide, um, in five different languages. You can look at it a couple ways. A vivid anxiety dream come to life where everyone reads your diary and laughs at you. Or owning your past and celebrating who you were then and who you are now. Mortified is also a movie, TV series, books. It's an empire. Dear Diary, on March 30th, we went to the mall, then to claim jumper at dinner. Then the waiter was the most fantastic man ever. I keep thinking about him. I just have to go to claim jumper. If I don't, I won't feel complete. I just have to see him again. It's the only thing that'll make me happy. His name is Joe, and that's all I know. He's probably in his 20s or something. The past few weeks, I felt lousy, and he changed that. Joe. He made me happy. People um, go, hey, this would be a great idea to share my deepest, darkest secrets from when I was 14. And uh, that book that I wrote Keep Out on, I'm just going to, you know, rip off that masking tape that says Keep Out, and I'm just going to share it with with a room full of strangers. That's kind of the idea. Um, And for some... That is something uh, that they would never do. I believe you are in that camp. Yes, I would never do this. <laughs> and then for others, it is a real 
moment of catharsis and a way of making, I think, peace with their, you know, your relationship to your awkward childhood self, to shame, and, and to get to do that through not something that's therapy, but to do something that might have therapeutic qualities, but is ultimately comedy, is ultimately fun. The whole idea for Mortified came about when Dave read something he had written and was mortified. So I wrote a love letter to somebody when I was in high school. Um, and I never gave her that love letter and it was overwrought and it was trying very hard to be many things to this person. It began, I've, I've said it so many times that I, I remember it, but it began, hello, Leslie, how was your day today? Mine's quite well. I must admit, I do hope that yours is a good one. Because what you're about to read may or may not add an extra color to the rainbow at day's end. What a proper little chap. Yeah, it was, I, shockingly, I was the editor of my school's literary slash poetry magazine. If you couldn't tell by the level of pretentiousness in that letter, his opening. And so I never gave her this love letter, and then I found it in my mid-20s. Not long after that, he gets this idea. Maybe I could share this on stage just for as a one night thing. It actually came out of a moment of, of depression where I, I was having sort of a career lull and kind of going through some things, kind of dark moment. And in, in that, I, I thought, well, what if I could just do something empowering and I'll rent a theater? It seems I've never done it before, but that seemed like an easy and achievable goal. And I did it and I thought, well, I'll invite other people to do the same. And I thought it would take. I don't know, two, three weeks to put together. And it actually wound up taking about nine months mm. because I realized not everything from our childhood writing is funny to a stranger. The show ended up being funny, endearing, vivid, personal, and a hit. Turns out audiences love hearing from people about their awkward past. What really struck me in doing that first show was that it wasn't just funny, it was really warm. And it was sort of, the, the seeds of, of what I was hoping to achieve. And that, you know, mattered to me. I think what art does is it simulates human experience. You know, you watch an action film like Die Hard or something because you want to feel the exhilaration and thrill of like, what would that sort of feel like to like... To be in that pickle. That yeah, that to be in, in that pickle, right? And so the reason we like those that type of movie is that. And the reason we might like you know, some romantic comedy is we want to feel love and, and, and it's, it's simulating some experience. We're, we're, it's empathy. We're living through these characters and we're getting to experience different ranges of human emotion. And what I like about what Mortified gets to do is we get to um, really ride the roller coaster of human emotion when it's done well. You're laughing, but then maybe you're crying um, or maybe you're feeling some other complicated emotion in between. Sometimes there's suspense. That is my favorite part of it. And I, and I, I realized after that first show, oh, I through this accidental art, through this thing that was never created, these writings that were never created to be entertainment. They were created to be private things locked in a box. Right. Not even bolted. meant to be read or heard yeah. by anyone. Typically. Yeah. yeah. Um, that these things um, have the power to do anything that some big blockbuster type story, movie, book, whatever, also has the power to do, that, that this can achieve what fiction uh, does in a lot of ways. And I've, uh, I was like, oh, I, I, need to, I need to keep with this. Mm. 
More live shows followed, and then it spread all over the country, and then other countries, and then the podcast and the books and everything. And part of the appeal was that it was a novel concept, but also part of the success may come from the idea that it wasn't really a novel concept at all. The more you look at your childhood life and you see it on paper, and then also when you hear people laughing, it helps you kind of step outside yourself, which is kind of what happens in therapy. And it's kind of what happens when you talk to your friends about your problems. You're like bouncing it off of some other person. And that's a really helpful tool. And it's also a really helpful tool, I think, to help you see patterns. Um, stories are just a series of patterns. Um, you know, we're tr- you know, you're tracking a pattern or something. And when we're editing something for, for the stage for Mortified, you know, we're looking for like, what are the patterns in this person's diary? What, what are the storylines that are emerging? And once, what do they keep coming back to? Yeah, exactly. What is the what is the, what is the thing that they keep trying to fix or fight or overcome? And that's and you're like, oh, did you like? There's a story in your life, and maybe it's not some epic, crazy story, you know, where you're saving a princess or you know fighting bad guys, but like, it's still a story. And the stakes to you at 15 or 12 or eight were huge, and. We try not to judge those stakes, even though like as adults, like we're like, well, getting rejected for this school dance or, or whatever, maybe doesn't seem big deal to us, but it was really big to that kid. And, and, and so I think in being in the show, you, you start to, the process illuminates a lot of the patterns in your life. And I think when you know the patterns, then you can start to control your own narrative. What do you mean by that? Like, when you start noticing, oh, I have a pattern. I'm, I'm constantly doing this. I'm constantly having the same fight I've been having since I was eight. Mm. You know, or I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with the world in the same way. And some, by the way, sometimes patterns are good. Um, but you're, you're doing this. Uh, what, once you notice those patterns, you can start to, like I said, it, 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 gets, it, it allows you to get out of your head, out of your body, and um, you can start to see things from an outsider's point of view. I asked Dave if these bearings of the soul and diary, especially in a comedy setting, allow people to better cope with the events of their past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that in reclaiming your teenage self and you know, changing your relationship. I, th- I think what Mortify does, or extra, and even if you don't have any desire to get on stage, I, I do want to take a moment and say, I just think this is worth an exercise for anyone to do at home. Like, just dig up something from your past, even if it's just a prom photo. And the action of that, the, the, the activity of that, the process, uh, I think it helps redefine your, re- you know, it helps change your relationship to your childhood self which sounds like squishy kind of new age mumbo jumbo, but it's, it's real. And um, for me, a big part of Mortified is, you know, I probably have a few missions, but one of them is, you know, shame is, is a huge word in my life. I didn't even know how much it was until years into doing Mortified that it was no coincidence that I do Mortified. And I, like, I believe my mission is to change cultural relationship to shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also to make people laugh and do all these other things. But the serious side of it is 
you know, I think we have an unhealthy and toxic relationship to shame in this country. What, what does shame mean to you? Like, how, how do you define shame? I think shame is, it's, it's, it's this feeling of humiliation. It's not just embarrassment. It's, it's, it's this loathing and, um, that wells up inside of you. Um, and um, it's encouraged by others, but it's ultimately your choice to feel it. And I think we live in this culture of, uh, I, like I gave, I gave a talk not too long ago somewhere where, um, you know, I, I think we live in this sort of era of shame. You know, I think, I think, and I think we have this real lack of empathy in the world. And I look at our politics and, and our news coverage of that. And this is not a Donald Trump is, uh, you know, some hyperbolic, uh, you know, crybaby thing, though it is, it is that comment, but it's also on the left completely too. And it, there's just too much gloating in our culture. And, and I, I'm specifying it with politics, but it really doesn't just behold, it isn't just to that, you know, it's, we just love being right and making other people feel bad. And we're all guilty so shame, says Dave Nadelberg, is often used in our society as a weapon against others instead of an obstacle that you got to try to overcome in yourself. Dealing with the shame of the past is at the foundation of Mortified, and it's something that Dave himself is still working on. There was a photo of me at like age 10 getting out of a pool. And it was, this was like, I, I, at this time in my life, I was, I hadn't experienced depression. I, um... I was a very confident kid. I've always been a very social kid or person, but, um, but I, I was popular, I was smart, I was getting good grades. Things were going well f for little me. And so there's this photo of me getting out of a pool and I just had this confidence and ferociousness about me. And I, I remember in, in, um, in my mid-20s, this picture um, was on display. Uh, that I was living with somebody and, and she had hung it up. She kind of liked the photo. And yeah, I was in, in this very low moment and I saw it and I just, I had this revulsion, like I had to take it down because I had such a love-hate, like, rela like, relationship to to that image of that kid. I felt disgust that this kid doesn't know what's coming, that this kid is sort of living in a bubble and doesn't see certain things that are going on in his life that he should have. Um, but then I had this like admiration for his the strength that he has that I don't, um, even if it was blind strength, mm -hmm. and and I think that happens a lot when I look at my childhood writings or or when I think when other people look at their childhood writings, there's this duality, and I, I think it's about loving both sides. So here are some of my journals from elementary school. <clears throat> Dear journal, my dad's mean. <laughs> He doesn't keep his promises, makes my friends leave early, and doesn't let me watch TV. He is also a pig. <laughs> Nosy. My dad's a money spender for him and a money saver for me. When he gets old, I'm gonna put him in a home. <laughs> my mom looks as if she's pregnant. <laughs> I hope she doesn't have another baby. We won't last. My grandmother stinks. My dad should shave his dick, chin, and under pits. My mom should also shave. I live in a condo. 
Dear Journal, I hate piano. My dad forces me to learn it. For what? Nothing. Can I get rich on piano? Can I get into a good school with piano? Can I get past a grade with piano? No. They gave it a good name. Piano. So as I said, the idea of getting up in front of people to read anything I wrote as a kid is a complete non-starter for me. I can't even imagine ever wanting to do that. A big part of that is that any of that material triggers thoughts of some pretty unhappy adolescent high school years. I don't really want to go there. Dave asked if I wrote when I was a kid. And I said, yeah, I wrote stories and a lot of letters. So I want to ask you about one story and, and like one letter. Do you remember anything? And I know this is just reaching into, the, into your memory bank. So you may not remember a lot, but um, do you remember anything about that one of those letters? First yes. of all, who, okay. Oh, great. Fortunately, I remembered a very early time before depression had kicked in. I liked this girl named Laura. This was probably second grade. Um, despite the fact that she clearly picked her nose in class, there was no... I think that was the reason you did like her. <laughs> well, she was awfully brazen about it. And I kind of like, yeah, okay, that's good. What did you write in the letter? Here's what I wrote. I wrote, Jesus. You'll hear what I wrote, and I can't believe I talked about it into a microphone after this. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, a way of maybe demystifying it a little bit, make it not so scary, but let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Thank you to all of our sponsors. You know, a lot of times with our sponsors, you'll hear me give like a promotional code to use at checkout, use promo code hilarious, that kind of thing. And I just want to point out when you use those, not only do you get great deals, but it really helps us because then the sponsors see that hilarious world listeners are a great audience and they buy things, they sign up for things. And then those sponsors want to keep sponsoring us and that keeps the show strong so use those codes. Shop at those sponsors. It's like voting for this program. It helps. It's very important support. Thanks. Okay, back with Dave Nadelberg from Mortified. Before the break, he asked me about a letter I had written as a second grader to a classmate, a girl I had a crush on. Her name was Laura. It probably still is. She was pretty, and she picked her nose brazenly. And I wrote to her. So, uh... I wrote her a letter that, jeez, uh, this is really hard, that I liked her, that somebody liked her, and that if she was 
with me if she would be my girlfriend that her life would be a lot more exciting and that it would be uh we would go to amazing places and see amazing things you know because i had thousands of dollars in a jet at my disposal in second grade no i had none of those things you could pick your noses together we could pick our noses together and and the reason why it mortifies me the most and the reason why when I even heard about your project many years ago, this was the first thing I thought of was that I signed it adventure person. What? That uh, in lieu of my own fuck. name, I signed it adventure person in block letters. And I believe a lightning bolt was involved. <laughs> Not even adventure like boy or adventure man. No, I think it was around the time that there was a line of toys called the adventure people. And uh, I'm sh- when I when I edit this episode, on the off chance I leave this part of the interview in, um, I will find a YouTube clip that I'm sure is out there where. Of the toy. Of the theme, because the theme would say, The Adventure People. Fisher Price presents The Adventure People. Toys for your older kids. There's the Northwoods Trailblazer, ready for his adventures. I think I, I started extrapolating this whole world where I was an adventure person. Maybe I had a Jeep. Maybe we went to foreign lands and fought bad guys. And that Laura, nose picking Laura, would <laughs> would be enticed by this life of adventure if she met me um, by the uh, by the monkey bars right by the old soccer field. So, so is that what you wrote in the letter? Is you said meet me at by the monkey bars if you like me at like two p.m. Yep, and that will mean we're married. That will mean we're married. Yeah. And did she show up? I don't know, because I did not. You could have ruined this person's life. Like yeah. where she, this is her first interaction with romance. Yeah, an adventure. An adventure, which you did give her. Yes. And if she said, if she didn't show up at the monkey bars or if she kind of spied behind a rock with her friend right. or something, waiting to see who it was going to be, like her first reaction, her first experience with romance is <laughs> disappointment. Yeah. Um, so eventually Laura was going to have to realize there is no adventure person. And maybe I was doing her a favor by being the one who showed her that, that the promises are hollow and that love is fake. Hey, jumping back in with the narration here, not sure you noticed, but I became more chipper after telling this story. I told it, I got laughed at, and I was then unburdened. I feel that when you were telling me about that, you were starting to see other things in there other than a crush, things that were revealing about you that might not even fully been about romance, but just sort of about things you wanted. Yeah, I, I think that there was, and and bear in mind, I've been married for 23 years and I have never told my wife about Adventure Person. This was this is the first time I've spoken in in out of my mouth about this, let alone in public. Has your wife seen you pick your nose? <laughs> in, there's no doubt she must have. Um, <laughs> And uh, I think Laura moved away like after a few more years after that. She probably couldn't take it. Yeah. Um, but there's better monkey bars out somewhere <laughs> there's else. Way more adventure people. If there's one, there's got to be more. Um, but already, I'm I am feeling a tremendous weight lifted on this thing because I'm I'm seeing myself again for my 
I'm seeing myself for my motivations to some extent of what was I after with this? And I think more than wanting Laura to be my, my girlfriend, whatever that was, I wanted to be adventure person. And this was a, this was a exploring of the boundaries. And then it was a realization that no, that, that wasn't me. Like I was, I was putting myself in a movie. I was putting myself in a TV show um, for what a guy who had a girlfriend was probably like. And then that was followed by, you know what? I'm just not there. I'm, I'm not there yet. So that, like as a snapshot, mm-hmm. is I think what happens when you dig up your past and share it with somebody. And I, I feel like this is the snapshot of like kind of what happens when somebody engages in that kind of self-reflection um, on the surface for something fun and breezy and casual or entertainment. But that when you ask questions and when you just talk for a while mm-hmm. um, about it, and maybe, or maybe you're asking a bunch of questions like, well, why did you write that? Why, did, why her? Why not somebody else? Why did you write this part? Like, and just why, 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 why? Almost I, Not that I did this with you, but like because you just kind of went there quickly. But um, which is great. Um, but if literally, if you just have this conversation with your wife or anybody, um, it's all storytelling. You start to see the patterns. You start to see the. And the engine of all storytelling is a person wants something. A protagonist wants something that they don't have, mm-hmm. and and they go to and then they go to some lengths to get it. Thirteenth of November, nineteen ninety four. I like Miss Stark, our English teacher. She's strict and mean, but for some reason I also love her. (laughs) Strange or what? I often wish that something would happen to her so that I could help her. (laughs) Like, I'm eating lunch and Miss Stark is in the queue. Suddenly she collapses. (gasps) I run and give her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Now, someone up on stage or on camera reading their personal stories out loud necessarily becomes a character by definition, just like Lady Macbeth or Alexander Hamilton or anyone. And characters have motivations, objectives, relationships, a whole inner life. Dave says that's where you really start to unlock the good stuff. I've often said that like our diaries are like teen angst tea leaves that reveal, you know, the sort of the trajectory of our lives. And so if you just look at like the song lyrics somebody wrote when they were 14 and they'll, and they'll be like, well, you say like, why'd you write it? You're like, I don't know. I just, I like music. And mm. You're like, okay, well, why else did you like it? Well, I don't know. I guess it was kind of like a Beatles song. I guess I like the Beatles. Why else did you like it? Well, I had this crush on this girl named Karen and uh, I wrote the song, you know, Karen, you're my dream girl. And it was actually about her. And so there might be like three reasons. There might be 17 different reasons why you wrote a thing, but their first answer is always this, uh, and it's, it's almost always this thing where the, the human reaction is to be like, the instinct is to be like, I don't know, there's, I just, I don't know, I was a kid, I wasn't thinking about it. Well, I didn't ask if you were thinking about it. I know you weren't thinking about it. Right. But there is a reason you did it. There's a motivation behind every single thing we do as human beings. Whether we brush our teeth, whether we ask somebody out, whether we cry alone in our car while eating supermarket sushi, not that I've ever done that last Thanksgiving. Oh, whoops. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but whatever, whatever you do, whatever sad or whatever activity you do, there's always a motivation and a reason behind it. And because of that, there is always a story in your life. And, and it's about 
you know, and, and, and so knowing that allows you a little bit to take hold and steer your story and guide your story. out who you were, what you wanted, what you were up against, can be very helpful, in part because it teaches you who you are now. It's an owner's manual. Of course, all this is much more complicated for people like Dave, who have been dealing with depression for a long time. I know that I've struggled in life when I, am, when I realize like, I'm not living with a goal. Um, I mean, literally, right this year, something I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, is I don't feel like I have enough of a story happening. Right, I'm not. I'm not inside of a story right now, hmm. um, because well, we released this series, this TV series, and that did that did pretty well. Then we released um, this this book that I worked on really hard uh, all of last year. My mortified life. It came out did terrible, but I'm re- but I'm really pr- proud of it. Like I think it's helpful to people and fun. And so, like these two major projects got done, and then some, and then a bunch of other like just big things got done. And then I was like, at the moment, don't have like a a larger next level. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. There's not a carrot. I'm I'm clearly chasing for myself. There's some short-term carrots, and so that's hard for me, um, and has let me spiral at times because I'm I can't see what my story is, and I feel like as humans. We often need to know, um, you know, what our story is, like what's the carrot we're chasing. That's funny that you tie up um, your story or lack thereof with, seems like, professional achievement. So your story is one that uh, lasts only as far as getting the thing, but then right. then you're out of story. Um, well, it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm narrowly just describing it as that, but yeah, I mean, there are personal life things as well, but, um, but yes. And, and, uh, that is one issue perhaps in my life, you know, for whatever it, reason that that yeah. the elements of that, that are true, you know, that's a, that's a thing to work on. It's a case of trying to get to a thing and not being a thing. Mm-hmm. Dear diary. Hi, this is the first day I'm writing in you. I thought I'd see if the classic good old diary would help me with what's on my mind. There's a lot. I'm so goddamn jealous of Deb. (laughs) Everybody likes her because of her body. My body is flat, plain, curveless, shapeless, ugly, and (laughs) unpubicized. I'm so goddamn motherfucking son of a bitch shit ugly. I'm short, pale with frizzy hair. I'm stupid, horrible in sports, shy. My teeth are fucked up. (laughs) I have a bump on my nose the size of Los Angeles. And I have absolutely no chest. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Thanks, God. (laughs) Thanks for everything, Liz. Okay, disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trained therapist. I was a theater major in college, but I host a podcast where I talk to a lot of people about depression. And examining who we were, why we said or wrote what we did, and accepting it, and even having some laughs about it, that seems pretty healthy and not all that different than what we're doing here on this podcast. There's a, 
a phrase that we say at the end of um, most mortified projects. Thanks for listening or watching the show or whatever. And until next time, we remind you that we are freaks and we are fragile and we all survived. And so that phrase came about really because one night I needed to say it on stage and it just sort of stuck. For me, it's a real important part of, of, you know, of the mortified experience and sort of dealing with shame and dealing with our relationship to, to our past. And I think I started saying it sh shortly after I, I had been hospitalized for, um, uh, for a pretty heavy depression that was, had, you know, um, there were suicidal ideations and then there was more and then there was, it was, just, it was a super fun time, super, super fun party. And, um, and when I got out, you know, I was really shaken and, um, you know, and I, I think I needed a mantra and just sort of that, I decided to make that mantra a shared one and not tell anybody for a long time until probably very recently have I told anybody that, you know, that isn't a message for you, fucker. That's for me. <laughs> and if it applies to you, great. I was curious about the effect on Dave, a depressed person, of soaking in these childhood stories from other people for years and years. The issues of shame and embarrassment and trauma sometimes. All the angst that goes along with the material. Has doing this work helped your depression? Yeah. It's helped me understand myself better and therefore... Um, I think allowed me to sort of combat depression more or manage depression more. That's a better term. Um, but, but the challenges, the, the, the double-edged sword of that is, uh, it's also let me be more, um, uh, more in tune. So I'm also letting in more emotional states, I think. Like, so I'm actually, I probably am experiencing uh, or in moments have experienced depression more um, than maybe I would. But I think had I not done this project, I think it, um, depression would have manifested in me in far less healthy ways. This is for all the suckers who have hassled me from the dawn of time. <laughs> for the past three school years, I've been at Shaft, I mean Taft High School. <laughs> My journey through the halls of this prison have left me with a permanent sneer on my red lipstick face. <laughs> now, when these certain people look at me, most of them hate what they see, or at least wonder at me. Is it my problem that I don't want to be like them? All I know is that at least I'm very happy being who I am and not parading around like a god in a letterman jacket with a beer in my hand, acting cool and making fun of the me's in the world. I would say some nasty and vulgar comments, but this is a school type of assignment, so I can't. <laughs> there are some common myths about Emiko Badillo that I'm addressing to the people I've been affectionately writing about. Number one, she knows witchcraft. Well, maybe I do and maybe I don't. You'll just have to test me, right? Number two, she's really mean. Get her mad and she'll kill you. Mad easily, yeah, that's true, but that's because most people do the exact things that make me mad. All I know is that if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you, and if you're mean to me, I'll kill you. And finally, 
how great does it feel to have finally met adventure person in real life? Do you ever really meet adventure person? Adventure person First of never, all, never I, shows up. Adventure person never shows up. Also, I know you're not adventure person because adventure person is waiting for all of us at the monkey bars. <laughs> and I do not see any monkey bars there in this no room. There are no monkey bars here. It's exactly how it works. But the next time you see one, <laughs> just just the next time, if you're listening wherever you are, the next time you see some monkey bars. Look for adventure person. Just wait there just a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. He might be running and late. And just scream, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm here for you, adventure person. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our web and social media kickboxing tournament champion. Kate Moose is executive producer, technical director this time around, John Miller. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation like that can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say, what not to say. It has stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at makeitok.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter. And come visit us on Facebook. A lot of great conversation happening there with your fellow thwadballs. New shows being formed. It's a good hangout. On our next episode, it's a jukebox. We asked our listeners for songs that help them out when Clint D is acting up and the stories behind those songs. My favorite line is when he says, when they ask, what do I see? I say a bright, white, beautiful heaven hanging over me. Um, I just would sort of try to imagine a little beam of light piercing through that cloud of depression that was just always blocking my view. I'm John Moe. Bye now. This great big smile is just for show What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint Would you say I'm a hopeless case Say it ain't so Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know